lobe oral fiber. I don't think you should drink that. Hello. Holding it like an inch or two in front of my mouth. It looks bad for you. You need to get backwards. It makes me feel great. Like I could. Can I keep his head for a souvenir? Take all the world. Alright. I like it. All right, hello and welcome, fellow adventurers, to another episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that always picks up all of its items before moving to the next screen, always. We never, ever forget. Join us this week uh, as we dive back into our comfort zone and to the friendly confines of ye old point-and-click adventure game with the 1992 quintessential point-and-clicker Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, one we've been looking forward to for a long time, so... Uh, I'm your host, Ben Helms, and with me per usual, uh, when he's not throwing his laptop across the room, wishing Atlantis had stayed hidden forever, screaming, Oh God, oh God, why can't Indy just leave these things alone? The city was sunken for a reason, is my big brother and co-host, Jason Helms. How you doing today, man? Oh, oh, hey, sorry. Um, I was just kind of busy making a bunch of orichalcum over here. So oh. that's that's what that is behind me, that giant machine with the lava. Right. And yeah. So um, I think I can sell it. I think I don't know. It's kind of tedious, but I'm really excited for for what's going to come of it. I don't know if you could sell it or more or, or just use it as as currency. That's true. Or like feed it to a giant mechanical golem. Good call. Um, you know, feed it to a crab if you want to go for you know out on the bay maybe for a day. Use the crab as a sailboat. How do you control the crab? I had I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And why like, does he does always he, stand on the side of the like, crab? Like, does he do it telepathically? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand. I, yeah. I've got thoughts. I got feelings. Man, wow. Crab. So we're already getting into it, but it's nice to be back in the scum land uh, with the scum games, uh, with the point and clicking and the left to right scrolling. Uh, and then that's the whole reason we started Momph in the first place a year ago was to do these types of games. And we're playing a lot of other ones because it's really only probably a third of these LucasArts games are these point and click adventure games. So we're trying to sparse them out or space them out, I guess, and play them sparsely. Uh, we haven't played one in a couple months since the dig we played this summer with Brent. Yeah, and uh, let me just make the connection real quick. The dig went through a series of project managers, mm-hmm. but the first one was Noah Falstein, who oh. was one of the project managers on Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Nice connection. That's good. Okay, so we're going to get into the history. Uh, yeah, so the, the rundown is we'll talk about the history and the making of uh, Fate of Atlantis. Then we'll get into the gameplay. We're, we're going to be joined by indie super fan and uh, Star Wars quoter of the day. Basically every day, something reminds me of Star Wars, and I text Richard about it. And our, my cousin Richard Nile is going to join, uh, and we're going to talk all about playing through Fate of Atlantis, all the joys and all of the different possible methods of getting to the end of the game. Um, because the Nile is not just a river in Egypt. It's also your cousin. True. This is true. <laughs> Then we'll play a nice uh, sloshy contest of what's the beer, what's the song, and we'll end things by talking about our last game of the year, next month's game. So, uh, yeah, you, you ready to jump in? Let's do it. All right, so let me set it up. Uh, travel back in time with us to the year 1990. I'm five years old. Jason's nine years old. Oh, and Jason's doing the... Uh, and it's uh, it's been a year since both the film and the game Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade had, had been released. Uh, the film grossed almost half a billion dollars. Uh, the game was, I guess, a great sensation. I don't know. I haven't played that, but we're playing these out of order. Anyway, back, back in 1990. Uh, and the indie craze is taking over the world, and it's time to make a sequel. And I know the last game and the last movie was called The Last Crusade. 
But just because Harrison Ford isn't making Harrison Ford isn't making these films anymore doesn't mean LucasArts can't continue making money off of this franchise, right? Why does Harrison Ford hate acting so much? He's so good at it. I really like seeing him in movies. It, I enjoy yeah. the movies he makes. It does feel like really every story it. is like, well, they did this because Harrison Ford wouldn't come back for another one or because uh, it was, you know, you only uh, had one more, so they had to do this or Seven uh, Days and Eight Nights is just going to be a great uh, sequel, but Harrison didn't want to do it. That was that was going to be a really solid one. So this game uh, took two years to develop, came out in 92, uh, came out on uh, floppies, and then a year later they released the talkies version. Yeah. Uh, and there's the more Spielberg and George Lucas games and more research I do into these movies and games, I, I see just more and more crossover. They seem like the same person sometimes. Um, I learned today in my research that apparently in 1977, the same year that A New Hope came out, was the same year that Lucas pitched the idea of Indiana Jones to Spielberg. Which I had no idea it started that long ago, and I didn't realize I that didn't it was, either, no. I knew they did it together. I didn't realize that it was George pitching it. But anyway, so I like yeah. how, however many, you know, three indie movies later, George is the one taking over the indie title, yeah. licensing, and, and making video games from it long after Spielberg was done with it. Do you know how it started? Like, when did they say, like, you know what? We should just do another game, and it doesn't have to be an Indiana Jones movie already. Uh, I think Harrison Ford didn't want to do movies, so they're like, I, guess, I think we have to do a video game, and okay. uh, all of, and they were like, we're, we need to make it a sequel also to the game Last Crusade, which was a scum game, and right. just update the graphics, update everything, and all of the the normal scumlets were working on Secret of Monkey Island and The Dig, which were coming out soon, and the project went to kind of the novice designer. He it said he'd done two video games. I couldn't find out what games those were. Uh, previous to this, but Hal Barwood it's was kind secret. of the project leader yeah. on this game. And I guess he's USC buddies with Spielberg and Lucas, so they trusted him. He'd, he'd written on a couple movies previously with um, with Spielberg, uh, Sugarland Express, Close Encounters, and uh, Dragon Slayer. And so I think it was just like their buddy that was doing good work, and they decided to give it to him. I think he was even involved in THX 1138, so he went way back yeah. with uh, Lucas. The USC team. So yeah, yep. yeah. So Barwood, along with, with Faustine, uh, we're kind of the lead designers and the lead writers. They split up all the different teams for all of Fate of Atlantis. Cool. But you were talking, we, we get into it in the gameplay, uh, talking a little bit about uh, one of the devices you use in the game to solve some of the puzzles is, <clears throat> excuse me, is Plato's Lost Dialogues, which I had no yeah. idea at the time was actually a real thing. Like, that's not a made-up idea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know Aristotle's better, not the dialogues, but Lost Books, uh, a lot of these ancient writers, uh, we don't have books by them, um, or we have some of their books. And so, you know, how do we know that there's more? Well, we actually have old library catalogs that will list, like, here are the books that we have by Plato. Oh, and it'll be like cool. two books on there that were like, wait, the what? Right. And sometimes it, there there are theories, like, you can never quite prove these things. But sometimes it's like, oh, maybe they just gave it a different title. You know, maybe they just called it something different depending sure. on what the library was, and maybe that describes something else. Uh, or was it a completely different thing? Um, so, yeah, the, the most famous one is, I think, uh, book three of Aristotle's Poetics. Um, the entire book and movie, The Name of the Rose, is about finding a copy of that. Oh, nice. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Jeez, I forgot about that. I did not realize that that's what they were looking for. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, kind of the setup to the game. We get into it in the gameplay, but uh, you are Indiana Jones. You are with someone named Sophia Hapgood, uh, who was, I guess, a colleague of Indiana Jones, but then she ended up becoming a psychic and kind of selling out a little bit in, in Indy's view. Uh, and 
through a bunch of different circumstances. You, you're looking for the lost city of Atlantis. The last act of the game, the third act, is you in Atlantis discovering it, I guess, having discovered it, trying to get yeah. out with your life. Yeah, and most of the tension between Sophia and Indy is, A, they had a former romantic relationship. Right. of course. Uh, but B, she's a true believer or she's a, a con artist. You can't tell. And Indy, of course, is skeptical of all things magical, despite all of his experience with all these magical things. He always comes right. in and says, come on, that's not true. What is that about? He saw people's faces melt off in the first movie. He, he had his eyes closed. He, for, for his, he saw the he remnants knows. of people's for faces. All he knows, off. Everybody just spontaneously combusted. <laughs> and it was a coincidence. Science. It's uh, all science. Science. Wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, as far as more uh, development, I thought uh, the, the backgrounds to this game were gorgeous. And I found out that yeah. <laughs> at the time, I, I always struggled to understand how they did this just because a lot of the technology was so long ago. But uh, I don't they didn't give a percentage, but a good chunk of them were hand drawn in pixel by pixel. Uh, and a bunch of them were scanned in, which yeah. they make sound like some futuristic technology from yeah, like thousands of years in the future. Because like we we had one scanner in all of LucasArts, and it was apparently like more than five thousand dollars, and it would take hours to scan a single painting that they would make. So anyway, they didn't have enough time or money or, or whatever to do with them all this. So it was a mixture of of the hand pixel drawn ones and the ones that were scanned in. It looks flawless to me, but I, I just thought that was cool. I never thought that it was a big, I never thought of scanning as being this like brand new technology, but apparently in 1990 it was, um, another cool thing was the, the rotoscoping. Did you read about that? Yeah. So rotoscoping is a a really cool process. I think it was created by Disney. Um, Mm. and they used it to, they would, they would film, uh, like animals running around and then use this rotoscoping technology to turn that into cartoon stuff. And then they would trace over, uh, the drawings, um, and give it personality and things like that. Frame by frame. Yeah, but then you could isolate, you know, what does real movement look like? Um, and right. so when right. you compare, they, they use that for Indian, you know, to get Sophia to walk like a normal person and things like that. Right. Um, and when you compare it to Maniac Mansion, you can tell the movement's a lot smoother. It looks a lot more human. Yeah. Um, it's it's really cool. So, Ben, you have some background information on the rotoscoping for this that we thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah. So rotoscoping, I always thought of, I think rotoscoping is kind of a term that's used pretty loosely like oh green screen it or blue screen or whatever where it's just like do the technology thing that people in studios do but rotoscoping, post i always thought of it as going frame by frame and, and erasing something or adding something to uh, a, a film shot or video shot so you can do a panning shot of something i'm trying to think of what it would be in star wars where they they do uh, the special edition you rotoscope out a lot of the you know 1977 technology in rotoscope in a lot of the 1999 technology for the special edition. So to get all of the movements, I guess, for Indy and Sophia throughout the game, rather than kind of hand drawing them from nothing and where you can get kind of a non-realistic motion, they rotoscoped it. Okay, so they they filmed Steve Purcell as Indy and Colette Mashad as Sophia just walking ac- across a, a green screen, basically. Uh, Steve Purcell, who's famous for all of the Sam and Max art, a lot of the cover art for uh, Monkey Island, a lot of the LucasArts art, uh, Colette Mashad, who's the art department supervisor, one of the, one of the lead animators on, um, on fate of Atlantis and who actually are married. I believe they're st- still married. At least Google tells me that they're married. Uh, Steve, but Purcell, I don't want to find uh, out if they're not, I, I wish them the best. <laughs> Keep hope alive, man. 
right. and it's just I like the idea of, of these real life people just like acting out in front of a green screen all of Indy and Sophia's motions and the whole like swooning and the leaning over to kiss and the like yelling at each other and the whip and everything just and then slowly frame by frame taking the video footage and rotoscoping in pixel by pixel you know turning those people into any Indy and Sophia in the game it just sounds like a really cool thing to be able to observe. Yeah, and before we even got into uh, studying how they did it and learning, you know, who was behind these motions, I just, as I was playing the game, when they kissed, I remember really liking the way that she lifted her leg, like one of those Hollywood right. movie kisses, you know, right. lifts up her back leg as she swoons. Uh, it was so cute. It was so, it, and it was such a, a classic uh, small movement that kind of uh, shows so much. I remember thinking it didn't look realistic, which shows what I know, because apparently those were two real people. Awesome. Evidently, you're a bad kisser, Ben. <laughs> exactly. I never lift my leg when I kiss my wife. Uh. <laughs> anyway, I thought the whole game just looked gorgeous. I mean, it was on par with any of the other scum games. I think, um, yeah, it, it just all of the I guess it was over 200 backgrounds. And it just each one just looked not necessarily hand painted, but it just it, it was very stylized and very. um appropriate to kind of the the game it, it, nothing was yeah. too confusing or too blurry or too pixely to to understand yeah and just the use of that many backgrounds all the the beautiful colors the beautiful art um there's a lot of work that goes into this behind the scenes and a lot of stuff that you don't pick up on a first playthrough yeah. um one thing though that really leads you towards replaying this game is the fact that it's actually three games in one uh as we will say incessantly once we get to the interview section True. um it's what happens is as you're playing, the game splits. So there's this one track that you're on for like the first half hour, hour of the game. Uh, and then you get to make a choice and you choose whether to play um, by your wits uh, or fight your way through it with your fists or play with Sophia. And you can do this kind of team based one. So this was a pretty new thing for LucasArts. And some of the reasoning behind it was, uh, you know, it added a lot more work to the game. It added, uh, I think they estimated like nine months, maybe even a whole year additional work to make this happen in the game but they knew it would really help replayability um mm. it does turn it into three different games yeah. um so it's in that sense it it's a really a worthwhile investment of that time yeah and we definitely get into that a lot more into a lot more detail with richard so uh but yeah you're right this is this is a huge game definitely one that i wouldn't mind going back and playing in a couple of years uh, but yeah, I guess uh, to kind of sum up the the history and the making of, it's one of LucasArts' most financially successful games. It sold over a million copies, and I'm sure with the kind of remastered version since then, it's sold a lot, a lot more. Um, it's the seventh Scum game, uh, and the it's uh, prequel. The um, Last Crusade was, I think, the third Scum game, so they're kind of making their way through the Scum games. Uh, a few pieces of trivia before we jump into the gameplay. Do it. All right, so the first is just like a lot of LucasArts games. There were a lot of allusions to other LucasArts games. Uh, the, the first one was, I think, sometime in Algiers in the desert. He says something about, Indy says something about, I'm selling these fine leather coats, which is something that Guybrush Threepwood in Monkey Island series says a few times. Uh, if you Apparently, if you if you look at a cup that has the molten lava uh, when you're making the orichalcum beads, he just says, this is certainly not the cup of a carpenter, which is from The Last Crusade. Uh, apparently, if you wait long enough in the pitch black room, which I'm sure we all did as we were searching around for a switch or whatever you need to turn on, uh, the the light or the room slowly becomes uh, visible, which I thought was really cool. I thought I was that's adjusting my effect, brightness yeah. setting, but apparently that's an intentional thing, which makes a lot of sense. It's totally pitch black. 
you wait a minute or two and you can kind of slowly see a few things in the room. I thought that was a really cool um, kind of hint or just kind of a cool effect that in 1992, especially something that um, would be pretty rare. Yeah. And uh, one more Easter egg for you. We mentioned Steve Purcell earlier. Uh, There's a point in the game where you can try and use a flashlight to act like a ghost. Um, One thing I didn't do, but read later I could have done is use the flashlight to make a shadow puppet on the wall. And who do you think I make as a shadow puppet? But Max from Sam and Max. So cool. Wow. I love I love things like that about about these games. All the little tiny Easter eggs, the little little details that they put in here. They don't really need to, but they're just kind of hilarious and just kind of, I don't know, little fan servicey things that don't take away from the game itself. So I think with that, you got anything else? That's it. Let's jump into the gameplay. This is an interview with our special guest. We're gonna ask him about the gameplay and so our special guest today is um, one of my best friends and cousin uh and that is my cousin richard who played this whole game with us uh and he's here to talk about it thanks for joining us man hey thanks it's i'm super excited to talk about it sweet yeah so uh rich has uh when i first told him that we were doing this podcast this was the game that he first thought of uh, and he has been mm-hmm. a hardcore gamer might be too strong, but you like video games just as much as, yeah. as I do probably a little more. Uh, and you've played video games most of your life, everything mm-hmm. from call of duty to these point and click adventure games, that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. but this was, you were telling me this is kind of one of the first experiences you or memories you have of kind of video games in general, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's see, I think we, I must've been 92 or 93, not too long after the game came out. My parents had this Mac, like Power Mac, first generation of Power Macs, and uh, I got Fate of Atlantis as a birthday present. I think it was like my seventh or eighth birthday. Um, And basically, it was awesome because I I had never had like a cool get a birthday present outside of the house or outside of right. a birthday party experience before. But uh, my folks took me to this restaurant in Eugene um, called uh, West Brothers, which was like a barbecue place. <laughs> and uh, my dad produced this box that was all wrapped. And uh, I got to unwrap it there at the you know dinner table. And, um, and inside was Fate of Atlantis. And it was – I was in love with it at oh, that yeah. moment because it comes you know it comes with all that the booklets and all of those the sweet artwork sweet artwork this really you know it's even the packaging is is a yeah. is an experience of itself and back then the video game boxes were like giant like board game box size basically mm-hmm. um and then from there gosh i spent that was like a may in may and then i spent just hours and hours and hours playing this game um and and got stuck like i spent the whole summer stuck in one spot uh and gave up and didn't try again for probably 15 years until a few years ago i replayed and uh beat the game um that's so yeah this is is pre-internet this is back in the days we talk about this a lot in these podcasts where this was just basically yeah you either doing it by yourself or like hoping that you knew someone who was also playing this game at school yeah like doing the game together or whatever. But yeah, if you didn't, if you and your resources didn't know how to do a puzzle, you basically just 
stop yeah, playing the game yeah, for a couple you, years. <laughs> yeah, stuck. I mean, hours and hours in this one spot of the game just yeah. stuck. Um, Gosh. So <laughs> it's fun to have played through it now. Definitely. It's nice to have a little help with the internet or with other people, yeah. like grown-ups playing this game. The yes. Number. Jay, what yes. about you? What was your first memory of, of Fate of Atlantis? Um, it was probably one of the earliest uh, LucasArts games I played. Monkey Island's definitely the first one I really remember, but Luke, mm-hmm. but um, Fate of Atlantis was around the same time. Um, I don't remember getting stuck on puzzles. Now, that's not because I didn't. It's just because what I remember most clearly was not being able to fight and just getting my butt kicked all the time. <laughs> yep. Yep. Have, yes. Have we, have we covered the fact that if it, if reaction time is the thing being tested, I'm not going to be good at it? <laughs> any flying game, any fighting game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I don't think either, you know. Maybe I was too young for it, but I didn't read the game manual to any amount of detail. Yeah. I didn't read any of the hint stuff that came with the game. And so, like Jason was saying, the fighting system, until you know, and, and you'll be able to talk about this, Ben, way better than I will. But until you, like, get the <laughs> fighting system figured out, you just get beat up by Nazis. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's very true. And they, they basically they just kill you. They don't really beat you up. Like, right. One punch and you're gone. Or a couple punches and you're just, you have to start over from your last save. But Guys, my experience I don't think with, I like Nazis very much. Right? Like, yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to stereotype. I don't want to generalize. But I don't Nazis think I like Nazis mean. all that much. <laughs> yeah, they no, don't my, seem like good guys. <laughs> They're dressed know. nice though. Uh, my experience with the fighting is just the hitting zero, which is sucker, sucker punch. punch. <laughs> I tried for like I don't know three or four fights at the very beginning. I looked up the manual and it's like press this to like do a short punch or a long punch or whatever. <laughs> And it was, I just couldn't, yeah, I was with Jason on that one. Not coordinated enough or didn't get the timing <laughs> mm. right and just hit zero. Mm. But apparently if you actually fight them without sucker punching, you get more IQ point, indie quotient wow. points, Indiana quotient, wow. whatever they are. So All that's right. how you, yeah, that's how you get to your like 1800 IQ points if you want the record or whatever. So. Wow. So mm. before we get too much into just like the weeds of the game, mm. let's start with, uh, the fact that we all started the game together. It was kind of a cool thing that I hope, Jason, I hope you and I can do this uh, in a similar fashion with future guests, but we played the first hour of the game together and we just did a phone call with the three of us and we played the game and it worked out really well for like a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got yeah. to the place in the game where there's a place in the game about a half hour where you, you pick one of three paths and we knew right. this. Thank you, Richard, for the heads up. Uh, there's uh, the fists path where you basically can, can fight yourself or fight your way out of situations. Uh, there's the wits path, which is the one that's going to have a lot more puzzles and it's just a lot more tedious along the way. And then there's the team path, uh, which is the one where you get your sidekick, Sophia. You got to get her for most of the game and you get to use her as a resource. Uh, mm. And the other two you don't. So Jason did the team path. Richard did the wits path. We made him do the hard one because he played the game before. <laughs> and then I did the fist path because I picked first, I think. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's funny. I didn't anticipate how much of a difference that would make in the game. Yes. I same. think in my head it was just like everything will follow the same flow. Mm-hmm. Things will just be less obvious with the wits path. Right. Um, Sophia will give you hints in the team path. And. Anytime there's an interaction with a guard, instead of having to talk your way out of it, you'll just punch your way out in yeah. the fist path. Totally. Yeah, I was and expecting that too. Were, I, was, I thought my game would just be like a half hour to an hour faster than your guys'. I'm like, oh, I'll just punch my way out of that puzzle. 
Right. Yeah, but it became clear pretty quickly, even while we were playing the game, that we were playing completely different games. Oh my gosh. They, yeah, and that's such why a we were frustrating playing together, it was way so much too. fun. And then, like, wait, what are you describing? <laughs> that's not even in my game. <laughs> yeah, oh my so ba- gosh. basically, we, uh, we all end up in this place called Monte Carlo, and Ben and I are trying to talk to this guy. And Ben and I are like, man, how do you get to talk to the guy? What did he start saying? And then all of a sudden, Jason is like in this seance with his sidekick. And Jason, you you can tell us what was going on. It was crazy. And and it was really hard to talk to him because he kept walking by. And so you'd (laughs) you'd only be able to click on him like one out of every three times. So I was convinced that you guys just hadn't quite clicked on him, right? Right. And then you're like, I'm up in the hotel. We're not even in the hotel. Guys, just click on him. It's not that tough. <laughs> just guys, just click on him. And yet it's not happening. So I went up and I did this seance and um, I've got Indy kind of behind a hallway area. And mm. Sophia goes out to do uh, a seance with Trottier. <laughs> and I tell her to distract him. I've got an idea. Well, I, d- yeah. I don't have an idea. Indy thinks I've got an idea. Right. And eventually I get to a place where I figure out, okay, I can take a sheet from the bed. I can put the sheet on. I can use a flashlight and wave it around. And it's like I'm trying to pretend I'm a ghost. <laughs> and each time I add a new thing, Trottier is like, well, that's a little bit more convincing this time. How did you go really, from pick really up sheet Jones. to pretend to be ghost? Yeah. <laughs> uh, use sheet. I think it was just use sheet. Fair enough. Use sheet. Fair enough. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things. Use is so ambiguous. Like, what am I going to do with it if I say use sheet? Will I tie it to the bed and climb out the window? Like, yeah. Right. So much I could do, but evidently wear it was the obvious one. Right. 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 Okay. Fair enough. Huh. So, and then how did you I was, get out of that seance? Yeah. Well, what I was supposed to do, I found out later because I just kept doing it over and over and over. But the whole time I could also switch off and let Sophia try her hand at it. And oh. she would do it all through like dialogue options. Oh. So, yeah, but you were still controlling do, those dialogue options? Uh huh. What? You could play as Sophia. It was yeah. awesome. That's crazy. So, yeah. What I was supposed to do was go get a mask from Algiers, bring it back, and complete my Neural Saab uh, outfit. And then he would give me the stone. Wow. Uh, I didn't do that. I could never figure it out. So finally, I just let Sophia do it, and I had to answer all of these questions. And so uh, he starts with, okay, why was – you know, if you're really psychic, why was I wandering the streets tonight? <laughs> yeah. And she shouldn't know the answer to that. Right. But right. Indy – was down with him earlier, and he mentioned to Indy that uh, the tarot card reader told him that he needed to go outside and look around, that he was supposed to meet someone. And so she said, uh, someone read your tarot cards. You know, I choose that option. And so it's all little things like that. Right. And then I've got to pick a number between uh, how many fingers am I holding up? And he holds up a number of fingers behind his back, and I can't see it. Wow. I've just got one, two, three, four, or five. Well, okay. So I picked one of them. I don't remember which one. I was like, I've got no reason to pick Eddie over the other. That Save one. your game right before <laughs> you pick. One. And I got it right. The first time he goes, wow, you really wow. are a psychic. Now, I have no idea if it's programmed that way so that you're like, wait, maybe I am a psychic. Maybe right? I am a psychic. Right. That's awesome. I like that, that idea. That is awesome. Well, so here's how I got to talk to Trottier, right? This guy, if you can imagine, he's walking around outside this hotel. I, like, finally get him to, like, interact with me on some degree then he gets abducted by these Nazi guards. The Nazi what? guards take off in a car. What? I jump in a cab. I get the cab driver to drive around and start ramming the car with the Nazis in it until there's this big car wreck. <laughs> and everybody gets thrown out of the vehicles. And I 
quote unquote rescue Trottier, get his business card, and then like the game can move forward. Oh but my until gosh. yeah, until I cause like this crazy car wreck, I don't that's, even get to talk to the guy that, like Jason's having a seance with. And, and then I wow. don't even get a seance out of it. <laughs> In, in my version, wow. I talk to Trottier and he gives me his business card. <laughs> this pack. And then I punch him. No, I didn't punch him. Wow. Gosh. And then so and then from there basically we all ended up at the the dig site was the next big yeah. puzzle. I, I rode think. a camel there. Right. I walked there. How'd you get my there, Jason? You walked through the desert? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> Indie stuff. That's true. Yeah, no, I we we got the camel. We went into the desert like one day into the desert and came back later that day. Uh, and it was just a cutscene. It said like a few huh. hours later, and it's the two of us walking back in. Like we never rode a camel or anything. Huh. And we get mad what? at the guy who gave us the camel because it was a bad camel. The camel died. Oh, <laughs> you see the so camel? Dying? I had to get a yeah yeah yeah. I Do didn't get see to the see cam- it at all. It just happened off screen. Oh, what? That's dark. They're just yeah. like oh yeah, the camel died. Uh, so then I had to figure out a way to get a hot air balloon and then like navigate the desert and find the dig site. Uh, so huh. Ben, how did you get to the dig site? Yeah, I got on a camel, followed the map, got to the dig site. As soon as I went into the dig site, uh, I did whatever I needed to do. I tried to get out and I started getting shot at by a sniper. There's no way out of the dig site through the way I came at least. And so I ended up having to like, I'm just going to use the word punch for most of my <laughs> verbs. I punched a wall and then I picked up the, the sunstone and then I wow. punched the sunstone into the spire or whatever it goes into. And it opens up a secret door where I like tunnel out and I start walking around off a different screen and the sniper like walks into me and he's like, Hey, what's going on? For some reason he doesn't want to shoot me anymore. And I like whip the gun out of his hands, which I found sure. out today that a, bit, a piece of trivia if apparently if you don't press any dialogue and you just stare at him for 15 minutes, he just shoots you. Wow. wow. Not, not 60 seconds, not 30 seconds, not five, 15, 15 minutes of just standing there. He just shoots <laughs> I you. Love that. I, I really want to mm-hmm. test that, but yeah, I just whipped the gun out and then I got in the hot air balloon and just flew over the Mediterranean. And, and I think that's how I got to Crete. What did you guys get guard? out? Oh, what's up? Huh. Was he guarding the hot air balloon? He was in the hot air balloon sniping at me. Oh, and you flew there in a hot air balloon, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, and one thing I love is that inexplicably at the end of the hot air balloon trip, like I'm landing at the dig site. There's no reason for anything to happen other than me landing at the dig site. Some guy shoots the hot air balloon while I'm landing. It falls <laughs> out of the sky and lands on him, crushing him, like violently. <laughs> and it's one of those like, well, that was strange. <gasps> and for me, I was like, why did that just happen? That makes no sense. Why, why would someone just shoot walk out of the way? Yeah. And I mean, he's just staring up at the sky as it lands right on me. He goes, ah. <laughs> so. All right. It only makes sense, though, now that I know what the fist path does, because it's like, oh, it was the sniper from your game was in my game shooting at me as well. Right. Right. The remnants of huh. of kind of each other's games being left behind. Yeah, I think there, there was definitely a lot of that because we had. I picked up a lot of things, a lot of items along the way. I'm sure you guys did too, that I never used. I'm sure Richard used a lot of those items that I never used. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, and I think, uh, so like I picked up a red fez that I never used and I was trying to figure out all game long early on a red fez. I think I read a hint that you could put the red fez on someone to spot them easier. Uh, I can't remember where that was though. It must've been in Algiers. Must've been. Okay, so when I let's see, when I went to the dig site, the lights were off, and I had to. Not only did I have to 
turn the lights on, but it, the generator was disassembled and out of gas. So I had to, this is an underground dig site, right? So I had to reassemble the generator in the screen is like pitch black. There's no, there's no indicators on the screen at all. What's going on. Yeah. Reassemble, fill with gas, turn it on. Was it on for you guys? I had no, to go had to over the there and thing. flip a switch. So Ben no, had to flip I, a switch. I punched it on. <laughs> ben punched it on and Jason, it was the same for you. You had to fiddle around with it. Yeah, same for me. The only difference was Sophia had fallen in a hole uh, in the dig site, and that's that was kind of like my impetus for what to do there. She's a resource, Jason. Gotcha. She's a resource. How did she get out of the hole? <laughs> I saved her. I rescued her. I used the uh, well, one of the stones. I don't know. That was the first stone I used. Uh, all right, and then from there, let's see. I I took all the parts off the generator, put them on this random truck that was broken down. Then I used like a magic bead, this orichalcum bead, which shows up all the time in the game. Jump started the truck and then drove. I don't know where I through drove the to through the desert to something and to ended up in Crete, basically. How did you get to? That's Crete? how I got out of there. How did you get? To how Crete? did I get to Crete? I okay. My my trip to Crete was crazy because somehow I got on a Nazi submarine. I I flew a homemade weather balloon, hot air balloon, what? crash landed on a Nazi submarine in the middle of the Mediterranean. And then what? I didn't get to beat the guard up, but Indy in a cutscene beats up a like captain of the Nazi submarine. Then I dress as a Nazi captain, like fiddle around in the sub, and eventually we end up at Crete, and I shoot myself out of a torpedo tube. What? And that's how I ended up on Crete. That is <laughs> you, insane. You guys man. didn't do that. that no, I, I went straight from the dig site and just got in a balloon and I landed on Crete. Because that's how you get to Crete. Think, I think I drove my car there. I actually don't remember how I got from the dig site to Crete, but got, it was not a puzzle. Like, I got in the car. The said, submarine, well, I guess, right? guess we better head to Crete. And then I think it's just a red line appeared, and it was like, oh, we took a boat there. It's fine. Wow. So, and then on Crete, um, did you guys have to do a bunch of work on Crete? Because I didn't. I just lined up some stones and went through into the labyrinth. Yeah, that's basically what I did. Oh, the we had to do the surveyor's Crete. instrument also. The surveyor thing where you in. line up the horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And I did do the submarine. It just wasn't what got me to Crete. It got me from Crete to Atlantis. Oh. And oh, Ben, did you did the sub show up for you at all? I never got in the sub until the very end, yeah. you know, the last scene of the game where you wow. like, go off into the sunset. Wow. So D- did it make any sense for you? Were you like, oh, and now I'm on a sub? Why am I? <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Actually, when I was, um, what, what happened? I think you. I'm trying to remember. I saw the sub one time, but I think I died. <laughs> i think it shows up yeah. one other time where a nazi just like shows up when i'm on the boat because i had to go to a boat to find atlantis and i had to like patch uh, a deep sea diver suit and then like I, go down there and i think oh that's what happened um so i didn't die it's part of finding atlantis he, he puts me uh, in the little crane that like drops me in the water or she sorry sophia is handling that she drops me in the water and like as i go in what's the guy's name uh kerner Kerner, Kerner shows yeah, up right Nazi. next to the boat. Yeah, thank you, the Nazi. Uh, and in the submarine, and he gets out and just like cuts my hose off. Oh. So I have three minutes, and I'm at the bottom of the ocean, three minutes to find Atlantis. And there's like 50 different doorways. Wow. What? what? And I, I don't know the strategy, but I just I just walked in one direction. Huh. It was my like... In I'm a walking. diving suit? Yeah. You're walking what? on the bottom of the ocean in a diving what? suit. And that's those, you know, if you're lost in a forest, you don't just like walk around. You like, what? you find one direction and you like line up some trees with a mountain and you, then you follow that line. 
So I did that in the game. I used my survival techniques. It's like it, listening to you describe this. It's like I was Indiana Jones and the fate of Atlantis doing my thing. And then I had a crazy dream. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what game are we talking about? In my crazy dream as Indiana Jones in the wits path, I just had this dream about the fist path where I like had a, a diving bell instead of having yeah. to do all this silliness. It was great. No, it was just That's... different silliness. <laughs> That's crazy. Are you guys in my <laughs> dream or am I in your dream? Oh okay, so all these paths. We could talk for an hour. In fact, we have yes. <laughs> previously about just all the ways our games are different. But I think the point that we're saying is that these games are it's three different games. Mm-hmm. I think at least half of the game, probably more like 70 to 80 percent of the games are just different. Um, and, and whether that's, you know, the same goal of a level might be the same, but how you get to that goal, whatever tools you use are totally different depending on the path that you take. So Mm -hmm. I think we can probably start getting to more and these will come up as we continue talking the differences, but we can probably get more into like the bigger picture, like what we liked about the game, which puzzle specifically we liked or didn't like what was most frustrating, that kind of stuff. So um, as far as just your overall take on the game, both you guys, um, how was that good, bad? How would you rate it? Kind of your overall review of the game. Disney was a really fun game. Yeah, Yeah. I, I really liked it. Um, and I think it, I don't know that it's as well known as a lot of the scum games. Um, I certainly didn't put it up there with the others, but it's, it's right up there. Uh, not as humorous, a little bit more serious, although there's definitely some humor there. Um, but the puzzles were fun. Um, the storyline was a lot, I think more interesting than most of the regular scum Mm. games where you actually like, wow, cool Atlantis. Like I just made a robot do stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I was surprised to find out. I'm going to answer it second. Sorry. Sure. (laughs) I'm going to answer my own question. I, I was surprised to find out that it, it sold over a million copies and was is thought of or is one of the the best selling LucasArts games of all time. Just wow. because I I don't have much of a memory of playing it as a kid, and maybe that's just because it wasn't slapstick comedy and it you know it wasn't silly like Day of the Tentacle or Maniac Mansion, um, Monkey Island, those kind of games. Um, and it was just difficult because <laughs> I love indie, and so I don't know why else I wouldn't have played it. Other maybe. Actually, the number one reason is probably because Jason didn't play it. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever Jason played is what I was playing. So it's his fault. I, you know, it's uh, for for me, it's the only scum game I ever have played. I I played the dig a little bit like a few months ago, but um, otherwise I didn't even know that scum was a thing. I didn't know that these games were a thing. I thought it was just this weird Indiana Jones game that I had played and that when I would ask like I think I had my best friend in high school or middle school at one point. We were talking about these games, and I was like, "You know, Indiana Jones," and he was like, "The movies?" Like, <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I think it was kind of maybe a bit of a niche, but but then a million copies sold. It's crazy. It's well, not and I have a, a friend that I was talking about the podcast, and I said, "You know, we do early '90s LucasArts games." And he goes, what, like Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis? And I'm like, yes, exactly like that. I am currently playing that for the podcast. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's cool. I I didn't realize until we started playing that this was the second Indiana Jones LucasArts game, or the second Scum game, second point-and-click Indiana Jones game. The first one is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It was released, I think, in 89 along with the movie. Wow. And it, it looks like, basically just looks like a, you know, worse graphics it looks like maniac mansion graphics version of um of this but it's the same game engine just 
less to do, le- you know, less options, that kind of thing. But huh. we're definitely going to play that someday. I didn't realize yeah. <laughs> we yeah. didn't do enough research. I didn't realize this was the second one. We're doing them out of order, but huh. that's fine. So uh, then what was it? Oh, most difficult challenge. Yeah, it was the most difficult yeah. puzzle well, or part of the game for you guys. So for me, basically at seven years old, I got completely stuck in there's this there's this level called the labyrinth and uh I, there's a room where you have to line up these symbols on these discs um and you have to line them up in a certain order and it's very tedious and also unless you read through some of the game literature uh there's no explanation of how to do it and yeah. and I just didn't know that and so I I think I tried for a month in this one room I would just rearrange the stones and press this button and um I gave up and then 15 years later beat the game. <laughs> so sometimes you just um, need a 15 year break. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and so that was, that was for sure. I think overall, when you get to Atlantis, there are so many complicated puzzles in Atlantis. Yeah. There's a lot of tedium there. And that's, it's not only the puzzles, but it's the walking around. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I forgot to pick up the thing I dropped. Give me 10 minutes to just walk back through the level. <laughs> click, 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 click. That was definitely the most frustrating mm-hmm. like part, arch of the game or whatever, act or whatever. I think for me, the, the hardest part that I was just like, because I, I, we looked up hints. I, I think we all looked up hints. Yeah. Um, I definitely did, especially in Atlantis. Um, Not but, me. It all just made sense like right away. <laughs> right. You had, well, you had Sophia, so... Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. No, she she helped you. <laughs> she didn't fall in. <laughs> she didn't fall in ditches or anything along the way. No, um, no, no. But it was the there was the, this one hint. Well, there's a few, but there was this one big one that I thought that when I looked up the hint, I was like, "How would you possibly ever figure this out without looking up the hint or just trying it for three days straight, trying a million combinations?" And that was in Atlantis, in I think the middle ring, center ring, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. There's the canal that you take the crab boat to. Yeah, sure. And sure. I, uh, that's a sentence that makes sense. Yes. Right, yep. right. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And there's the one uh, like tunnel that you put, you attach like chains to a sentry's like arm, uh, a robot's yeah. arm, and he pulls the door down. Uh, in that sentry's chest, you have to like put in some crazy combination of things you've acquired in Atlantis uh, and then put in an oracalcum bead to start it. Yeah. I tried that for a good half hour and finally was like, this is stupid. Like, I everything I've tried is symmetrical and it's, I've tried Uh, every like up, down, left, right, looked it up and it was not symmetrical at all. Everything was just like on random corners. mm -hmm. And those those puzzles are frustrating where it doesn't matter how smart you are. You just have to try a million things. I used the walkthrough for that and it's took me over an hour. Wow. Like, and I'm not talking about like the whole Atlantis thing, just that puzzle. Yeah, um, oh because it just kept saying you've got this piece, you've got like five different pieces and you use this piece there and this piece there. But yes. none of them made any sense to me. I finally did a Google image search to just find out what does it look Smart. like when it works. Smart. Yeah. And I realized I was actually missing a piece the, yep. all along. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's rough, dude. Yeah, very rough. And then I think, oh, what else? So further than in Atlantis, you use this tunnel digging machine. Oh, my um, gosh. And I could not, I could not figure out. There are three slots for control levers, and you have to, you have to put in a scepter and a rod, and I don't not think a third work. lever. I don't think that'll work. Right, so I it's two levers, work. not three. <laughs> oh on my gosh. I legit figured that one out almost immediately. That's, like that I was joking earlier. 
You mean Sophia figured it out and told you one puzzle that she put the levers in and I was like, Sophia, what are you doing? And then she goes, just Indy. Okay. I Uh, did this everyone. (laughs) Yeah. But I got to say, then the end of Atlantis is so satisfying. Oh man. Yeah. It's so cool. The, it's a cool scene. Just the idea of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. The setting is really neat. Um, you can completely screw it up. Or yeah. you can succeed. It's yeah, it's cool. Jason had good advice right then. I think it was Jason. He told me there's just yeah through the la- the last dialogue, the last dialogue of Indy, um, yes. <laughs> to just save like every other dialogue. <laughs> it's like make right. sure you save along the way because you will die several times in talking to him. Yes, yes, right. Jason, didn't you say you tried like a like a bunch of combinations of how many talcum beads to like? Yeah, there was this this whole like um, thing about. Plato had a tenfold error, so if he said a hundred, he meant ten, or he meant a thousand. But you know, you never know that, and so he said ten. And so, does that mean you need to take one bead, or does that mean you need a hundred, or should you believe right. him and it's just ten? And so, this was like a whole question for you to figure that out. And so, I tried every single combination, and I died every single time. <laughs> and then I realized it's like, oh, it's an Indiana Jones game. He's not supposed to do the magic. He's supposed to just let somebody else try the magic, and then they die. Right. It definitely has a uh, Last Crusaders vibe yeah, totally. where like there's this powerful machine and if you use the machine correctly, you can become like an invincible god. Um, oh, here's a question. Yeah. When you were in Atlantis, did you guys get Nurab Sal out of Sophia? Did you get her so she was yes. no longer possessed? Yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah, that took a long time. Though. Yeah, that was wait. super frustrating. That was one of those things where it seemed like the world was so big, I had no idea what to do. Right. Can and everything took end- so long to get to, I just had no idea where to go. Yeah. Can you end the game with her still possessed? Like, is that an option? I don't know. Or you when just I'm- never solve that puzzle, so you move on with your life, and you're, like, still making out with her, but she's also still neurob cell a little bit? Possibly. I guess we should have found that out. That's that would be doing extra I think homework. My guess is she just won't go anywhere because she just stands there by the lava pit. Right. I like my idea better. No, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Huh. Uh, any other final thoughts on just overall gameplay? Anything that impressed you? Anything you want to see in the sequel that they're currently? De- no, they're not developing no, a sequel. That would be awesome though. <laughs> it's. I mean, I it's. It's still just as fun and frustrating as as I remember yeah. it being. Um, it's. It's really nice to have walkthroughs and those yeah. resources uh, to move the game forward. But yeah, awesome game. Yeah, yeah, great game. Sweet. I think that's all we have. Uh, Richard, mm-hmm. thanks again for joining us. I'm hey. sure we will have you back uh, next year for some other game. But thanks again awesome. for for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's yeah, pleasure. Chuck is a plan, but he's so much more than that. I said, Chuck's not only a plan, he's an NPC and champ. That's right. You heard that correctly. Chuck the plant is back because apparently in the game's resource files, uh, a fan found an unused location. So early in the game, you're in Sophia's office, you're ta- or you as Indy, and you're, you're, you're talking to her in her office. Uh, and apparently... Just to the right of her office, she has an apartment, a living room kind of setting. It in the apartment, there's Chuck the Plant. He Chuck uh, the Plant. Chuck the Plant. <laughs> uh, this is a recurring segment that we have, uh, but it's basically how did Chuck how did Chuck the Plant get to where he is in this game? Would you want to go first? Or you want me to go? Uh, you go first. And I'm just going to basically tell Jason and, and everyone listening kind of how I, I did some research. I found out how Chuck got into Sophia's living room. 
Uh, real quick, a, a lot of people don't know that Chuck the Plant, uh, who's appeared in numerous games, Maniac Mansion, a lot of the uh, Monkey Island games, uh, Day of the Tentacle, um, a lot of people don't know that Chuck was actually uh, a contemporary of Indies. He's been around a long time. Um, or Henry, as Chuck would call him, much to Indy's chagrin. Uh, but Chuck was a paleontologist uh, who also taught at Barnett College with Indy. Uh, when one day in the teacher's lounge, which I'm pretty sure they had in the 30s in colleges, uh, Indy uh, introduced Chuck to the one and only and future ex-Mrs. The Plant, Sophia Hapgood. Uh, and it wasn't long until their paths crossed again a couple times here and there, the Christmas party here, whatever, and uh, until Chuck finally got up the nerve to ask Sophia to go steady. She said yes, and you know, a few egg cream sodas and drive-in movies later, Chuck and Sophia got hitched, and the rest is, is kind of history. Uh, Chuck spent most of his time in that very living room where we don't see him, uh, just keeping Sophia company, you know, providing her with, with oxygen, uh, listening to the occasional FDR fireside chat on the radio, snuggling in his pot, sitting in his dirt, just kind of typical pre-war marriage stuff. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of there until we see him in our next game. What about you, man? What yeah, kind of research it, did you turn up? Well, there's that everything you said is true. Hmm. Um, according to research I found, it's just Good. there's it's there's on Wikipedia. Darker, so. There's some darker stuff behind that. Oh, geez. Um, that you got to go. You got to go dark web to find out. I mean, oh, okay. I really dug deep. Okay. Uh, I had to trade some oracalcum beads on the dark web, <laughs> right? On the Silk Road to right. get through this. More like Toracalcum. Uh, hey oh, that's some dark web uh, jokes for you. Bit torrent. So, um, first off, there, there's the obvious thing of. Indy's a cad. I mean, Indy ran off with Chuck's girl. Oof. Like, there's no recognition of this yeah. in the game at all. It's really disappointing that they don't deal with this. Mm. But it also explains why Sophia is a bit cold towards Indy. You know, she's yeah. got a good thing going on with Chuck. Uh, but I can understand why she would think, um, you know, maybe Chuck's a little boring. That's fine. Right. Now, what she doesn't realize is Chuck is actually fine with this um, because Chuck was using her as well. Oh, that's so sad. And we don't want to think those things about Chuck. Uh, you mentioned him giving her oxygen. You know, that sounds great and beneficial. Yeah. Uh, in some of my research, what I've discovered is that Chuck is involved in an international cabal of plants. Wow. Um, the conspiracy goes all the way to the top. It actually outlines all of human civilization and history. Uh, what's really going on is we think, you know, plants are nice, right? Hey, they give us oxygen. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. Uh, we even farm them and grow them and take care of them. Unfortunately, we've got it all backwards. Plants farm us. Whoa. So that they can have something, some dead bodies yep. to grow in. Whoa. Have somebody what? to take care of them, grow them up. Yeah, we get we decompose. I thought you were going to say for carbon plants. dioxide. That too. <laughs> that makes more sense. We do it all, man. Uh, the carbon dioxide is an immediate one, but I mean, they need us in the loam. You know, our carbon goes back into the soil and, uh, and helps the plants along. Yep, yep. Uh, so they're not giving us the oxygen for free. Again, they, the way they look at it, hey, these guys take care of our oxygen for us. Yep. Give us some carbon dioxide and help us grow in the future. Um, so it's not quite as be- benevolent. And Chuck Chuck's involved pretty deeply in that. Um, so I'm hoping that in future games we might find out some more stuff. I'm hoping he becomes a human sympathizer, yep. uh, maybe through the events of Day of the Tentacle. Yep. But uh, I'm not sure we'll know. Yeah, okay. I'm just glad we didn't spend waste too much time on that that section. Me too. Me too. This game's pretty fun with frustration. When I was all done, I just had to question. What's the beer? What's the song? I can't always tell. I just want to know what game is Westy 12.
that was awesome. Uh, I think it is time now for a little game of what's the beer, what's the song? Uh, we start with beer. Yep. So uh, my beer is not just one beer, but six, six, six beers in one. What? Um, a six pack the, of, oh. Yeah. No? Yes. Uh, I chose um, Beer Camp by Sierra Nevada. Oh, nice. They change it every year. It's always fun. It'll always teach you something about beer. Mm-hmm. Um and it's they usually sold in a twelve pack of six different kinds of beer. So I know they did uh, IPAs one year, and they had you know here's a West Coast IPA, here's a more traditional IPA, mm-hmm. here's a British IPA, um, you know all this different stuff. And so it's it's cool to get those those little varieties. Um, always a fun thing, always something to pick up. Uh, right now they're doing a really cool collaboration one. Um, I'm looking at it now, and it's uh, 31 different breweries. Holy um, crap all took part in these collaboration things. So each of the beers has like five or six different breweries that made it together. Yeah. Um, wow. So kind of, kind of a cool idea. Anyway, uh, the reason I saw a connection was the idea that, you know, you, you change the game rid- really subtly by choosing these different paths. Mm-hmm. But of course it creates a really, really different game, even with those subtle changes. Right, right, right. Um, and it teaches you more about the game. You you learn much more about how it works and how the puzzles work and those kinds of things. That's cool. I like that. Uh, I I went with uh, the game or the game for me was long, difficult, but at the same time very rewarding. No frills. I tried to kind of take those four things and put them into my song and my beer. And the beer for me I had for the first time last week in Bend, Oregon, which is Crux Fermentation Project is the name of the brewery, and their Tough Love Barrel Aged Imperial Stout. Oof. Oh my gosh! It is wow. I drink a lot of stouts, and this is arguably the best stout I've ever had in my life. I'm going to have to go back wow. to it at some point, but uh, it's 11.5% alcohol by volume, huge flavor, really complex, definitely a beer that you'll want to share and experience with a few friends, uh, which is kind of the crossover here. Definitely when you want to kind of sit down and discuss the, the complexities of this beer with other people, and at the same time, even when you're done drinking it, when thinking about it, as I did with friends that I shared this beer with, it's something that all of you have the same experience, but... At the same time, while you have the same beer, you all have very different experiences at the end of the day with this because there's just so much going on with this beer. So that it just reminded me, honestly, of that. <laughs> it sounds cheesy, but this actually did remind me of that beer when we were playing the game. So, yeah. And then for my yeah, song. I should, oh, yeah. Go for it. I should note that it's 10 a.m. on a Tuesday and you're what? Three stouts in. Mm-hmm. All right. For my song, I went with well, Weezer. OK, so actually, I got to be honest. For my first song, I went with Beastie Boys, <laughs> Paul Revere. Uh, but then apparently I discovered from Jason that we'd already chosen that song. Yeah. Supposedly. So we looked it up and yes, he was right. For Maniac Mansion episode one, I chose Beastie Boys Paul Revere. So my second song for this game is a Weezer song. It's one of my all-time favorites. It came out, I want to say like 2008, 2009, so kind of late Weezer. Uh, and it's a song called Heart Songs. And it's a song where Rivers basically goes through all of his um musical influences over the years and the song kind of slowly changes and goes from an acoustic song into more of a Weezer kind of hard rock song towards the end. Uh, and for me, this game is a lot of those things. It's, it's video games. It's Lucas arts. It's playing video games with my brother and my cousin and it's Indiana Jones. And because it's Lucas arts, it's star Wars. So it's a lot of really nostalgic things that have shaped my, me, I was gonna say my worldview, but they kind of shaped who I am growing up. So it's a lot of nostalgia, which this song is. Uh, but at the same time, this song, I first heard it riding in the car down to Comic-Con to interview Steve Purcell with Jason. 
like seven That's years right. ago. That's right. So it's layers and layers of LucasArts and nostalgia. And for those reasons, it's pretty meta, but Heart Songs by Weezer definitely uh, links with this game pretty well. Good one. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Um, so my song is uh, the best thing about Star Wars Episode One. So randomly, Richard will come up to me during like Christmas vacation or whenever he's visiting, and we'll just go, and we both draw our fake lightsabers and have a fake lightsaber duel. Because we're super nerds, but yeah, good pick. Why'd you pick it? Um, I picked it because one thing that I really felt like we had left out was how epic this game is. Um, and there's nothing more epic than Duel of the Fates. Um, but you go and discover the lost city of Atlantis. You put together like steampunk, ancient golem robots. Yeah. Uh, you fight Nazis. One of the Nazis becomes like a zombie monster that then dies. Like, yeah, that's true. there's that's so much really cool stuff in this. This is, if this was a movie, it would be over the top coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not. And so I think it, it comes off as a little cartoony because we're thinking video game. Right. Um, and it's got a lot of humor in it, but it's also just just a really epic game. And so I felt like we needed to, to recognize kind of uh, the imagination behind it and how much, when I was a kid, how much it really called on my imagination. Yeah, that's a good call. And the music, obviously, I think that might be the most epic song ever, the one that you picked, but the music for this game is great. Every time you discover something, yeah. it's almost like a Zelda moment where it goes, da 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 when you like get something out of a treasure. But it has it has the, the ambient just kind of suspenseful music in the background. And whenever you discover something or figure out a clue, open a door, it has that Indiana Jones. Or what is the Indiana Jones music? And it kind of has that, but very subtly mixed into the current ambient song. And as a musician and as someone who just loves these games, I was just floored every time at how they've so seamlessly integrate whatever ambient music is going on into the theme really quickly for 10 seconds and then go back to the ambient music. Just, without being able to find out what's fading in and fading out. It worked great every time. Yeah. And uh, because we're doing research for these things and we're Googling things, uh, I also realized that the lyrics, I think, apply really well here. Um, Kora, Danya, Kora, Ritama, Nyoha, Kila, Kora, Ritama. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. You know. Fascinating. Um, I know it's Sanskrit. I have no idea what I just it's said. Sanskrit? Sanskrit. <laughs> Cool. All right. So that brings us to the last segment of today, which is picking next month's game. Jason and I have both compiled a list of 12 games. We're each going to read them off. Whichever ones uh, compile the most, we'll then um, vote on. We'll send to a peer. No, okay. I'm just joking. We both already picked the game. But the game is uh, a game that actually came out this year, which is the newest game we've ever done. And it's a game called Firewatch. Firewatch, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. Pretty big game by a small company. Uh, called Campo Santo, which is actually uh, put together, I believe it was, it was the the 
developers, designers, owners of Campo Santo is made up of ex Telltale designers, which is Telltale is made up of ex Lucas Arts designers. So there's always going to be a Lucas Arts connection, whatever we do, and this is it. Uh, but it's it's uh, an adventure simulation mystery kind of first person game. Uh, I think adventure is the official genre, but it kind of has a lot of the same things we like about Lucas Arts games, the puzzle part of it. Um, I don't think there's a horror aspect to it. I haven't played it, but there's definitely a lot of mystery. So I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah. And I can already tell you what my song choice is going to be for it. Uh, clearly, it's going to be Fireball by Pitbull. I'm a fireball. Good call. Good call. Uh, Firewatch. I was thinking of um, Paul Revere by Beastie Boys personally. but That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. We'll see if it fits. We have to go. How long did you think we would go before we would get a repeat? Because the list is all music ever played by humanity. Oh, my gosh. Halfway through writing my description, I was like, have we done this before? Nah. <laughs> I need to make that Excel sheet that has all of the songs we've done because I'm I'm dumb and old. All right. So that's all we have for you today. Thank you again to everyone who's listening. Uh, if you do like this podcast, uh, then you're probably still listening. If you don't, you're probably not listening. So if you are listening at this point, please go and rate our podcast on iTunes. You can just give it like a yeah. quick four or five or one star, whatever you want. Uh, actually, no, if you give it a four or one star anywhere in there, feel free to not listen to this part. Just don't listen. Just don't listen. <laughs> give us five stars and tell everyone in the world why you like it, uh, this podcast if you like it. That would help us out. That would kind of help spread the word of Malv uh, and this video game love that we have. So. Uh, anything else we have before we go? Uh, if you give this a five-star review and you're in one of my classes, I will give you a five-star review. <laughs> that, that's not, not a good grade. That's just, I will tell other teachers uh, that you're a five-star student. Boom. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, you know, rate and review us. That always helps. Uh, you can check out our month store, uh, for any merch. We're always coming out with new, <laughs> new gear, uh, you can get like headbands and lanyards and crazy stuff. I don't think you can get lanyards or headbands, but you can get mugs and shirts and hoodies. Um, I've got a t-shirt and a mug. Yeah, there you go. Oh, and next week, keep your eye out for a mini pod, a little crossover episode that we did with the wonderful ladies of Electric Fan Cave. So, uh, yeah, check that out. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Our website is menoflowmoralfiber.com. You can find links to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook there. Uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us on this uber long podcast. Uh, as always, I've been Ben. I will be Jason. And I am a mighty pirate. You know, a lot of my discoveries seem like tall tales, even to me. At least there's some evidence now. <laughs> See you guys. Later. to Anne Heche. <laughs> no, we're not Good going question. there. I, I hope she's no. I got no idea. I mean, I hope she's doing well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like Anne Heche. I, I got. Uh, I have no opinion on what she's doing now. I'm sorry. I hope it's something <laughs> wonderful.